Good Arizona morning to you all, and what a beautiful day it is today. No matter what part of the great state you're in, that is blue skies, the weather's got that nice little fall nip in the air, and new shoots from the ryegrass are coming up, little starter plants are peeking through the soil, starting to leaf out, and man, it's just a great time to be in Arizona and in the outdoors. And we have Mr. Greg Peterson down there at the Hanges. Black as the soil he's tilling. I love it. I <laughs> love it. All the way you know, under the fingernails, too. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, I cleaned them this morning. Uh. So. <laughs> well, and the best part is all of the, you know, all the garden goodies are coming up in my yard. I've got radishes and brassicas, which are the broccoli and cabbages, and I've got some cilantro and basil coming in. Okay. Somebody needs a fire producer. Why aren't we doing this in your yard? <laughs> Having breakfast right now. <laughs> Let's do it, man. I'm in. I'm in. Who missed that scheduling opportunity? And uh, to this month, we're talking urban orcharding. So yeah. you've got, I'm sure, a few citrus that are starting to slightly change oh color and gosh, getting ready I'm for the picking. I'm so excited. This is one of my favorite times of the year when the citrus starts turning because one of my favorite things to eat is uh, a navel orange, mm. you know, that I wander out in my yard and, you know, toward the middle of the end of November and grab it off the tree and it you know almost falls into my hand and you know and then I peel it I brought some last year remember mm-hmm. when I had them ripe last year the pinks and the regulars and they're just amazing absolutely amazing and we've been doing now that ours is starting to mature and everything it's just you know if, if you're eating it while you're out in the orchard just leave the peels right there on the ground let it do its thing there you go there you go. You know, I want to bust up a myth here. There are more than two kinds of citrus in the state. Uh, people think that there are uh, Arizona sweet oranges because that's what everybody planted 50 years ago, and the yellow grapefruits. But there are so many different kinds of citrus that r- ripen most of the year. So you can almost have, you know, for six, seven, eight months a year, you can have ripe citrus in your yard, which is so incredibly cool. Where else could you do that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hawaii maybe. Maybe. Hawaii maybe. maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure probably Hawaii, but So let's maybe go through a couple of those other varieties then. I mean, if it's not just the sweet orange and it's not just the yellow grapefruit, what other oh. planted varieties do we have? So we already mentioned navel oranges. There is a pink navel orange called a Caracara navel and a the standard they call it a Washington navel orange and those ripen mid-November to about mid-January. So for about 60 days, we'll get them on the tree. Uh, The next one that is absolutely wonderfully incredible is the Trovita orange. And the Trovita is actually good for squeezing, but it's also a peeling orange. There's a few uh, seeds in it. Um, And it's ripe after the navel oranges. Oh, seeds are the best. What else would you spit at your siblings? There you go. (laughs) There you go. So the Trevita orange is absolutely wonderful. It ripens after the navel oranges. So I get about four months of a nice peeling orange uh, in my yard. Uh, Mineola tangelos will come up in Now, is that close to a cutie? My kids have been after me for a cutie, but I understand that's still a little more tropical. It's not quite desert ready. Well, no. we. So here's the deal. The cutie is a brand, uh, and it's it could be one of many different kinds of small tangelos or tangerines uh, so, so i just need to order cutie bags and then go pick my own tangerines <laughs> and bring them in there you go there you go there's a clementine tangerine there's a gold nugget tangerine there's a um th- those are both really nice ones as well and 
outside of that, I mean, lemons do great here. Limes do great here. There's uh Well, you know one of the five C's of Arizona, right? Citrus. Citrus, that's right. You know, along with cotton and corn and cattle and copper. Climate. Oh, all right, climate. So maybe there's six of them. But, you know. Wasn't that the cattle? I, I think they've they've upped it to seven. Oh. Uh-oh, what's the seven? Canyons. Oh, oh. nice. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Seven seas. Seven seas of Arizona. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So, really, any kind of citrus that you want to grow here is going to grow if you do it right. So, and we'll talk in a little while about doing that right. And taking it from an orchard setting into a home urban setting, mm -hmm. there's a few things to consider. Yeah, so it's different. So this is what we like to call urban orcharding, urban, you know, in the city. And the biggest thing we want to do in urban orcharding is we want to keep our trees small. Now, this isn't a rule because, you know, I've got a couple of large citrus and a large apple tree in my yard that I purposely chose for shade purposes to let grow big and people think well no i can't go small i need all that fruit well if you've ever seen a big fruit i mean i can't tell you how many times we went to my grandparents house said yep. three big ones we couldn't leave without filling two or three bags and he had eight kids and everyone was leaving with right produce. exactly it, it's small trees gonna still produce more than you're probably gonna eat <laughs> exactly exactly plus you know if you have a peach tree that's 30 feet tall in the in the city, generally, that peach at the top of the 30-foot-tall peach tree is what? It's bird food. Bird, bird food. food. <laughs> That's right. It's yeah. for the birds. Here's the thing. The, the, a peach tree all ripens at the same time. So if you get a standard-sized peach tree and you get two or 300 pounds of peaches all at once, can you pick them all, number one? What are you going to do with them all? In the same footprint of that one large tree, I can plant three, four, or five different varieties of peach trees that ripen at different times. When they're ripening at different times, it's called successive ripening. So if you have a small tree, eight feet tall, eight feet wide maximum, and it's giving you 50 pounds of peaches, if you put in three or four or five different varieties, over the course of 60 to maybe 90 days, you're gonna get 50 pounds and 50 pounds and 50 pounds and 50 pounds, which is more than enough. Plus they taste a little bit different, they act a little bit different, so. A little variety. Sorry? A little variety. A little variety. Exactly. And much exactly. more easy to manage and harvest. And Right. So it's the managing, harvesting thing. It's, you know, it's really, uh, it's really about making it easier for us. Plus, you know, generally, we don't have acres in our yards. You know, if you have a third of an acre and you put four standard citrus trees or peach trees or fruit trees on your property, that's about all you get. I have about 70 different varieties of fruit trees on my property. And the lot and size? Third of an acre. It's 80 feet 70 wide. 70 trees yep. on a third of an acre. Yeah. And, a, and you have a house on that third of an and acre. And I have a house on the third of an acre as well. It is flood irrigated. <laughs> it is flood irrigated. But uh, Well, thank goodness, because we haven't had measurable rain since August 10th. We had oh, a quarter wow. of an inch. Yeah. And we've had, we've had four trace events mm -hmm. since then. Yeah. So... Flood irrigation is pretty handy. We'll yeah, go through exactly. these periods of 90 and 100-day dry spells. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So keeping them small allows for them, you know, managing them from the birds. They're easy picking. They're easy to prune. Um, I mentioned the consecutive what? harvesting. Do you have a chipper? 
What do you do with your prune limbs? Yeah, seriously. Trimming 70 trees. Yeah, exactly. Well, I just recently got a chipper, and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just arrived. It's actually over at uh, Lawn King getting repaired right now because it was a used one. So I, I had him service it over there at Lawn King. Nice. Yeah. I've been dreaming about a chipper. Yeah. Yeah, well, you should with your acreage, absolutely. Yeah, right now it's just the the leaves or the limbs just pile up in big bunches, and mm-hmm. there's an occasional bonfire that happens somehow. I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> oh, organic, oh, there you go. There spontaneously you go. combust out there. there. But Here's I one. Thinking, oh, how much I could just you know, chip it right back in, and it's its own mulch right yeah, on exactly. top. Exactly. Exactly. Here's one thing. You know, people uh, put bird netting over trees, and that is the last thing you want to do. You never want to use bird netting. People say, what? Well, here's the deal. Bird netting tangles with the tree. It will mercilessly tangle up in the tree and it kills birds. You want to use something else. It's called tulle, T-U-L-L-E. It's the what you, uh, it's the what you buy at the uh, fabric store for tutus and veils and that kind of stuff. And you just, you know, drape it over, connect it underneath. And that's how, if you want to net your trees, that's the best way to do it. And you can do that if you're managing them at eight feet. If you've got this 30-foot tree, there's no way to do that. Exactly. So tool. Exactly. Now, do you have a, where where do you buy your tool? I actually don't. Okay. Uh, I have enough fruit trees on the property and I manage them quick enough. They have theirs and you have yours. You know, I've been growing fruit trees here in the Valley since 1975. I've been seriously growing fruit trees since 1989. And when I look at a peach, I can tell you within about 24 hours when it's going to be ripe. So I get out there, you know, I get out there You're right as it's it. getting ripe. And the sun's coming up. Exactly. You got your bucket. Yep. You got your pruning stick. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. And I'll tell you what, I cannot eat a peach, an apricot, or a plum from the grocery store anymore. I just can't do it. Because when you walk out, to your peach tree out in the backyard and there's a perfectly ripe peach and you tug on it and it drops in your hand and you take, you know, you look at it and feel it. Feel and the fuzzy skin and stick fuzzy... your teeth in. And yeah. You... And it's juice and starts it coming literally off your elbow. explodes <laughs> across the front of you. That is a ripe peach. You can't get those in the store. You can't get those in no, the store. No, because so. by the time they would pick them, truck them, stock them, they'd right. be compost. It, <laughs> There you go. I have a little tip for you on the tool, uh-huh. the T-U-L-L-E. Right. Uh, SAS Fabrics, is they're, they're in Tucson and in Phoenix, and you can just get bulk material for not very much. Yeah, exactly. It's great stuff. Yeah. SAS. S-A-S. All right. Yeah. Very good. There you go. one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you if you'd like to join the conversation about Urban orcharding. We're going to be talking about fruit tree programs, three ways to kill your fruit trees, planting process, and your calls at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. You can text questions to four one one nine two three, or if you have a picture you want to send, uh, you know sometimes these fruit trees can have uh, you know maybe, maybe leaves curling on the end, or mm, your apples mm-hmm. are kind of browning on the edge, or you've got a little bit of yellowing in some of your citrus, and you want to. A lot of that is just summer heat. Mm-hmm. And it's really all of that goes to how you take care of your trees. Because that's really I found over and over and over again that there's really one way to kill your trees. And if the person take care of the tree, the tree doesn't get taken care of. We got to get some uh, tagline for you uh, stolen off of that horse whisperer where he uh, he calls the lady and he says, are you the are you the guy that helps people with horse problems? And he's like, no. I'm the guy that helps horses with people problems. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We need to get some knockoff yep, on that for exactly. you. Exactly. 
Right. But you can send those pictures to info at rosieonthehouse.com. How many days? Since rain. We've had three trace events since August 10th, but August 10th was the last measurable rain. Well, we had three tenths August 26th, but we had a quarter of an inch on August 10th. We're currently at 9.6 inches year to date. We had a seven inch July. (laughs) So it all came then. We got to turn your mic on. Hang on. Yeah, it helps if I turn my mic on, huh? <laughs> There's a really cool website out there called rainlog.org. That's where I'm on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a great website managed by the U of A, and uh, you know, it was originally for Arizona. Now that's all over the world. It's awesome. You can actually pull up the Arizona map. It shows you every registered rain gauge in the state. There's got to be at least thousands of them. Yeah. And you just zoom in on the area of the state you want to see. You click on that particular station, and you get the history of mm-hmm. that station going back as long as it's been there. There are some of those uh, that have been there eight or nine or ten years. So it's wow. cool. It's really cool. Yeah. You can go back and see how they've done over the years. But I need you at my house. I'm on an acre, and I don't have one happy tree. Ah. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> and you're on a third of an acre with 70 happy trees? Yeah. There's, well, not, I, there's not a happy tree on my lot. <laughs> I do I do have flood irrigation. However, my buddy Jake Mace out in Mesa has a third of an acre lot, same size as mine. He's got 230 fruit trees on his property. Again, Man. we're keeping them small. I mean, some of the fruit trees are, you know, four feet tall, four feet wide, small. Okay, uh, I got to ask. I got to ask. Uh-huh. He's not so, on flood water. So you're okay uh, being the little bird sanctuary for your neighborhood, that's okay with you. Yep. But how about the roof rats? Uh, huh? So we have roof rats. We have pack rats. We live yep. in the desert. Yep. You know. um, I remember when the roof rats showed up oh, man. What, about 15 years ago. And what we saw was this huge explosion. And then the um, I don't the know population, what that was. The, yeah, apparently they arrived from China somewhere. I don't know. Somehow. Um, in a container or something. Yeah. And oh, eight nine years ago, it right. was it was the most common topic you got. Uh, right. You know. Right. So we have rats, and I have two feral cats that live in my yard. Okay. Um, and the other day, I was walking across the patio, and there was a dead rat on the patio. It's like go Cali Ma, right? <laughs> so we're gonna have rats. You know, we have uh, interestingly enough on the back patio at the urban farm, two nights ago, a big fat raccoon. And the, the urban farm is at 16th Street near Bethany Home. <laughs> Go figure. So did you put on your boxing gloves? and? Yeah, exactly. Well, the moment <laughs> I opened the door, he, he, he or she was gone. Uh, but, you know, it's something, you know, we have to manage which, for that. And which watch for, because sometimes they'll, they'll rear up on you, and they're vicious little Yeah, that's suckers. what I hear. That's what I hear. So, you know, uh, managing wildlife, and I'll put roof rats in the wildlife <laughs> category, is, you know, something we have to do. Is it a reason not to grow fruit trees or groceries in your yard? Absolutely not. And honestly, on a year-to-year basis, I can identify only one or two instances where they're actually eating my food out of the yard. So it's not a problem. And if you, you know, if you do have a problem, you trap them, catch them, do whatever you want. Well, let's them. talk about starting from the beginning. 
you, you got to know root stock. You got to look at chill hours. You have to look at ripening times, fruit yeah. variety. Selection so, is critical. Selection is absolutely critical. And here's one of the reasons that I do what I do. So my fruit tree program is 18 years old, and in the, in the fall, I do fruit tree classes, free fruit tree classes online, in person, educating people, because do you realize that you can go to most nurseries in this valley and they will sell you a fruit tree that will never make fruit? This is the big box stores and some of the local nurseries. It drives me nuts, and it's for the following three reasons. Number one, chill hours. We get about 350 hours of chill. A, most fruit trees, not including citrus, require less than 39 degrees and a cumulative amount of them. So uh, my Anna apple tree in my front yard needs 200 hours of chill. So we get 350, so we're good. If you were to plant a, a um, Braeburn apple and it needs six or 700 hours worth of chill, you're never going to get fruit on it. You have to be closer to maybe Dewey, a little farther north. Prescott, Flagstaff. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because you can grow. So there are no low chill cherries currently, but you can grow cherries in Prescott. You just can't grow them here. And I was in a big box store just in the past week and they were selling all kinds of cherries. And if somebody buys a cherry tree, first of all, the rootstock is wrong for here. We'll talk about that next. Secondly, they're not low chill. It's never going to make fruit. And that just drives me nuts. The next thing we have to take into consideration. OK, so let me review that real quick. Less than 350 hours worth of chill on the tree. So if you look at the tag on that tree and it says chill hours, 500 hours, don't buy it. If it doesn't, if you want fruit. If you want fruit, exactly. If, if it doesn't say chill hours on it, do your research, but don't buy that tree until you know how many hours of chill it needs. Second thing is rootstock. There are specific varieties of rootstocks that do really well here. So most fruit trees are grafted, which basically means they graft a fruiting stock to a rootstock. And rootstocks are very specific. <laughs> rootstocks are very specific to an area. So if you plant a fruit tree with on the wrong kind of rootstock here, it's not gonna make it. There's a reason cypress grow great in the swamp. Their roots are made for it. But a rootstock for the desert, you want to find one that matches those clay soils. Exactly. Exactly. More with urban farmer Greg Peterson here at Rosie on the House. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. Well, I love a rainy night. I love a rainy night. I love to hear the thunder. Watch the lightning when it lights up the sky. Especially in Arizona. You know it makes me feel On a monsoon night. Oh, definitely makes me feel good. We'll get one again. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it comes and goes. So a quick review. Yeah. So the um, things that you need to know in order to intelligently buy trees, low chill, what rootstock is in it on, make sure that you have the right rootstock for the area. Smartphones are always great for that. If you get fruit trees through our program, they're all, all the, they all qualify. They're low chill. They're on the right rootstocks, plus uh, ripening times. What I've found with peaches, apricots, plums, and apples, so the soft flesh fruits, if you get the varieties that ripen before July 10th, you're golden. Anything that ripens after July 10th or the middle of July, the, the fruit just cooks on the tree, and it's just it's a worthless tree. So having a variety that ripens early is really important. 
And then the next important thing is when do you plant your trees? I am a big, big proponent that you plant them the first quarter of the year only. So you spend the rest of the time planning for your trees and you plant your deciduous trees in January and February. Deciduous trees are anything that lose their leaves in the winter. So in our case, peaches, apricots, plums, figs, apples, pomegranates, the stone fruits. And then citrus come in in uh, February and, and March only. And there's a bunch of reasons. Take one of my classes. They're free. Take one of my classes and find out why that's the case. But after, for, after planting fruit trees in the valley since 1975, I have found over and over again that that's the best time to plant them. It's the best time to dig in the soil, too. It's absolutely <laughs> the best time to dig in the soil. Absolutely. Okay. So, so then from there, uh, planting is critical. And then you've got – we've got our, our – we've done all the research. We've got the chill hours, the root stocks, mm-hmm. ripening times. Mm-hmm. Let's say we get a half dozen. And we've got our early bird order form here for the fruit tree program. And yep. I've got my uh, five picked out. What do you do next? What do you do next? What do you do next? Well, first of all, um, I've started giving a class this year, Three Ways to Kill Your Fruit Trees, and it's actually turned into more like 10 or 12 ways to kill your fruit trees. And what I've learned over and over again, interacting with the people that buy trees and plant trees, is that there's one thing that kills your fruit tree, and that's, sorry, guys, you're not taking care of it. And so I've developed this. I could be a guest speaker at that class. There, there you go. There you go. I could be the featured speaker. There you go. So there's three things that I have found over and over and over again that kill fruit trees. Planting them in gravel mulch. So if you have a gravel yard and plant your tree in the middle of a hot gravel yard, it's not likely not going to make it. Not that it won't, but it's likely not going to make it. If you have a gravel yard, don't worry. I've got a solution for you. We'll talk about that in a little while. Or dirt. So gravel or dirt. Um, near block walls. So what we call this is a really warm microclimate. And warm microclimates are not great places to grow really anything. Uh, So what we have to do is we either have to uh, pay for shade or we have to grow some shade out because you want to get the shade area shaded, number one. Um, And then I have a magic bullet for the the next one that I'm going to tell you here in a minute, which is the other solution, which is really the capital T solution. Uh, for planting in dirt and gravel and grass. Here's the thing about planting in grass. If you have a lawn and you're planting a fruit tree in the lawn, the lawn will outcompete your grass. So the lawn will outcompete your tree. There we go. I'll say it. I'll say it right. Um, so if you plant in a lawn and your tree's in the middle of the lawn and the lawn starts growing back to the tree, it can outcompete your tree and kill your tree or at least have it so your tree doesn't do well. And the third way to kill your tree is put them on a drip system. Fruit trees, really all trees, need to be flooded in the basin. And I'm going to talk basins here in a minute. They need to be flooded in the basin, not have a, you know, a gallon per hour drip on it. So those are the three ways. Plant them in lawn, plant them in gravel or dirt, or plant them in uh, with drip irrigation. So the solution here, really for all three of these, is a big basin around your tree. I call it my six-six rule. A six-inch, a six-foot basin around the tree that is six inches deep. You put the tree in the middle on a hill, and you fill the moat around the tree with six inches of woody mulch, and you renew that woody mulch every year. So what that woody mulch is doing, it's actually magic. It's really is that the silver bullet. 
It's that's a silver bullet. Absolutely, that's a silver bullet. It's at the interface between the dirt and the woody mulch. It's making this really great soil. For the hot microclimate, so your gravel and your dirt, it is cooling the space down at least six feet out from the tree. If you can go eight feet out from the tree, that's even better. It's acting like a sponge, so it holds water. I have seen projects that have a foot of woody mulch on them and no rain for four months, and six, eight inches down, that woody mulch is still wet. Okay. So it holds water. It acts like a sponge. It cools the area. It cools the roots. And when you're doing this in a lawn, here's what I tell people to do in the lawn. You cut your six-foot or eight-foot divot in your yard, six inches deep. You put the tree in the middle, woody mulch in the basin around it. I say this a lot because people don't get the six to eight feet and six to eight inches. Okay. What happens there is it keeps the Bermuda grass back. So the, it keeps the Bermuda grass back while the tree's getting established. And second, if you're sprinklering your lawn, that sprinklering will kill your fruit tree because a fruit tree needs a good deep water twice a month in the summer, once a month in the winter. Okay. So if you put your woody mulch basin around the tree, it acts as an insulator between the sprinkle, the sprinkler water and the roots. It doesn't get enough water that it ever gets through. Exactly. Exactly. So absolutely, the silver bullet in this is woody mulch around your tree. Six to eight inches deep around it, six to eight foot basin around your tree. And I have seen over and over and over and over again that this is what makes trees thrive in the space. This is absolutely what makes trees thrive in the space. And when you say trees, we're obviously talking today's topic, urban orcharding. But right. you could take this and apply it to any tree. You any plant. tree at all. You do that to a mesquite tree, it is going to love you and it is going to thrive. Palo Verdes. Um, ironwoods. Ironwood. Even the non-desert trees, if you do this to them and you water them correctly, they are going to thrive. Absolutely. So that chipper's going to get a lot of, a lot, a oh, lot yes. of hours in at the urban farm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, especially with our fruit tree program, we get all these trees in in January. They're deciduous. They're bare root, so they don't have any dirt around their roots, and we have to prune them up. So we come up with this six-foot-tall, eight-foot-wide, 20-foot-long pile of branches that – I usually have to throw away. This year, I'm chipping them. Nice. Yeah. So, whole prep. That is, I mean, it, it seems like every topic we get to, it's like, this is critical, this is critical, this is critical. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, they all are critical, but yeah, the, the whole prep to put that tree in. Mm -hmm. And bare root's a lot different than what's pre-potted from right. a, a nursery. Right. However, I do them the same way. I'll, I'll, you just have I'll, to dig deeper for a bare root. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So mostly the roots are going to be in the top two feet. Uh, even if you're deep watering, you know, with your tap roots and those, the tap roots, they'll go down real deep. But for most trees, you know, most of the roots are in the top two feet. So what I tell people to do, an 18, inch, 18 to 24 inch wide hole and 18 inches deep. Start with that. And then I want you to do a perk test. A perk test is you stick a hose in the, in the hole, you fill it with water, and you let it drain out. And what you want to see is that water draining out within 30 minutes to three to six hours. Uh, no more than 24 hours you want that tree drained out. 
Uh, a friend of mine recently did a perk test in her backyard, way up near Lake Pleasant in a new house, and three days later, it was still full of water. That's a problem. Might be on a little caliche or something. Exactly. Some real hard clay. Exactly. So the bad news with this is that the harder the soil is, the bigger the hole. George Brookbanks wrote a book in the 1960s about gardening. Uh, I think I still have this on my shelf. And he said, when you're planting your fruit tree, you want to dig. He had a backhoe, and he was digging four by four by four foot holes for his fruit trees. So for the caliche, you know, it probably doesn't have to be that bad. And I've got some really great tips for you in my classes on how to have, have to not do that. But if you have caliche, I'd go 24 inches and 20, 24 inches wide, 24 inches deep at least. And you need to make sure that you get that water draining out of the hole so you have to break through the caliche going deeper. The risk you're running in not getting that water to run out is the water will sit there. And you drown. And then you get you, – and then disease. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, the, even with all that mulch and everything you mentioned earlier, it still has to dry it, it out. It still has to dry out. Exactly. <coughs> exactly. So – Pre-digging your hole is important. One of the things that we're encouraging people to do this year is to pre-dig your hole now for trees that are coming in in January, February. Remember when I said best planting time is January, February? So well, my fruit tree program is set up to deliver trees exactly when they're supposed to be planted. And your friend by Lake Pleasant, if starts now, she should be ready by February, it sounds like. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's some hard digging. Yeah. So, and mostly that doesn't happen. Mostly there's not a... An issue with that, you know, I'd say 98% of the time, the, the holes drain out just fine. So what we're encouraging people to do, pre-dig your holes now, put the soil in the holes. So my mix for going in the holes is 60% organic matter. We've made, uh, with Tank's Green Stuff down in Tucson, mm -hmm. we've made a uh, proprietary Greg's Planting Mix for your garden and for your fruit trees, and it's got cocoa peat and perlite compost and composted pine wood in it. So it's a really nice planting mix. So 60% of that and 40% of the native soil. And what we do is we mix them up. We add some azomite, mycorrhiza, and worm castings in the wheelbarrow and put that in the hole and let the hole start curing. So the mycorrhiza is life. And when I teach, I talk about the five components of healthy soil. And a really important component of healthy soil is the life that's in the soil. And that's microorganisms, mycorrhiza, fungi, bugs, you know, all of that stuff. That's what's going to have you have a tree thrive. So what we want to do is we want to put soil in the hole that's going to have the trees thrive. And that's the mix that we suggest. So 60% planting mix. 40% native soil, mycorrhiza, azomite, and worm castings, all mixed up in the wheelbarrow, put it in the hole, water it once or twice between now and when your trees arrive. And then how many of us out there, I have my hand up first, have bought trees in the past and they never get planted, right? They, or you just have a plant that it's still sitting in that pot, right? So Stop looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at Rosie now. Um, so what you do is you've pre-dug your trees. Now all you have to do is you have to move a, you know, a little bit of soil out of that hole, pop your trees in, cover it up, put your six inches of woody mulch around the basin, and you're golden. You're absolutely golden. So <clears throat> I'm not on flood irrigation. Right. 
I'm planning on putting mm-hmm. the fruit tree. I'm getting these holes dug. How do I trench in? Do I trench in first and dig the hole later for my PVC bubblers? Yep. yep. Trench so first. First thing I tell people to do, if I, I do garden consults with people on the phone. It's a really valuable thing that I can offer people, and we talk for 45 minutes on the phone. And whenever I see a dirt yard, first thing to do is to put your plumbing and electrical in. So dig the trenches, put your plumbing and electrical in. It's nice to have, you know, a spigot in both corners of your backyard and, you know, maybe in the middle, depending on how big your yard is. And it's really nice to have electricity out in your yard. So we got our ditch witch. Got all these lines ripped up. Yep, yep. We got our plumbing down. Usually what they do, uh, I, now backyards are different, but when you're laying utilities, you put electric down first, two feet, and then you come back 18 inches and put your water line. That way, uh, anybody digging, they hit the water and they know electric's farther uh, underneath. That's a good thing. Obviously a little different when you're doing your backyard irrigation, but... Uh, there's no reason not to do that same right. rule of thumb if you're going to put electric out in your yard. And like exactly. I said, there's huge benefits to having an Big outlet time. back there. Big time. I just I recently had to run new electricity out to my chicken coop. You know, and that was a project because a lot of the infrastructure was already in. So number one thing to do is put your water and electric in. Uh, then what I would do is you know wood chips. If you have a dirt yard like your place, you know, put down wood chips. It keeps the dust down and it starts growing healthy soil. And if you put down six to ten inches of wood chips in your orchard, your trees are going to love it over time. What, what about three inches of horse manure? That can help, too. The problem with manures, both cow and horse manure, is it's very salty. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't suggest using manures in your gardens because it's we already have mineralized or salty water here. By adding you know, the manures, you're adding more to the soil that we really don't need. I put it not up to the base of the tree, but uh-huh. outside of where the canopy is, just yeah. to have a place to put it. Like you said, it Perfect. keeps the well, dust yeah, down. Well, yeah, you got you got horses. Yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely use it. I wouldn't throw it away. Oh, my gosh. But that's where the chipper comes in because then I can chip from the manure line up to the <clears throat> up to the tree. And right. Give it that, you know, that 12-foot canopy around the tree of exactly. mulch. Exactly. And then exactly. just something to do with the manure, like you said, dust, and let it all kind of mix and compost right. over the course of time. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's letting your yard soil cure over time and grow over time is the most valuable thing that you can do. It's, you know, our job as food growers in the valley, I call us urban farmers or urban gardeners, is to grow healthy soil. So we've got our water, mm-hmm. our irrigation. Mm-hmm. You talked earlier about how to prep that and get the soil prepped from the irrigation line mm-hmm. where you're putting your PVC in. Where are you plant? Where are you digging your hole from there? Are you digging it right in the middle? Are you offsetting it? So I'd probably offset it a little bit. Uh, you want to put the bubblers. You want a bubbler in your tree well, not drip. And so if you have drip irrigation and can put your drip irrigation with bubblers on it, so that the base. Because what you want to do is you want that basin full of water. Once a month in the winter, twice a month in the summer. And I'm just following flood irrigation. My on flood irrigation, the trees do great. So I'd put the 
tree in the middle and maybe a, and you have a six or eight foot diameter basin around it, I'd put the the bubbler maybe 10, 12, 16 inches away from so the tree. So one bubbler will fill that basin. Yeah, that you have to make sure of that. You might have to put two, one on either side. Uh, but, you know, you, I'd start with one and you can always, that's easy to add. You know, you can always go that's back. That's true. You know, that's an easy add. Um, if you so, decide to go small and then you let it go big and right. you got to add a second one, you're exactly. letting it go to that 30 foot mature height for shade. Yeah. You got other purposes you're using the tree for. Right. But keeping it small down to your eight foot manageable size, one's probably going to get you by. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, I can't remember where I was going with that. Sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's okay. So we talked about what to put in the hole. Let's talk about watering. Watering is a really important uh, thing here because you can kill your tree by overwatering it. In fact, a lot of the trees that I see from photographs that people send me, people have overwatered their trees. And what happens is, is an overwatered tree and an underwatered tree look the same. They're both wilty. The same thing is happening essentially. An overwatered tree, you're rotting the roots. An underwatered tree, you're um, not getting enough water to the roots so they can live. So in both cases, the roots are dying and the tree is kind of droopy. So what happens more often than not is people water their trees too often. You know, every three days on a, on a, with a basin around your tree, if you do it the way I tell you, every three days is way too much. But if you're watering your fruit tree every th three days, that's too much water. And what happens is, is that it'll start drooping when it starts dying. And you think, oh my gosh, it's not getting enough water. So you give it more water. And that continues the downfall of that tree. So there's really two very simple solutions. The first one is buy an $8 water meter. We'll have them at our nursery when we're open um, in the spring. Buy a water meter. They're $8. And follow what the water meter says. So stick that water meter six or eight inches down into the soil. And if it says it's dry, then you water it. If it says it's wet, don't water it. The second thing has to do with my planting methodology, which is you plant your deciduous trees in January and your citrus trees in February, and then you water them once a month in the, you know, until April. Uh, and then, you know, and there's more. And it looks like we're running out of time here. <laughs> the fruit tree program. So we have a uh, fruit tree open house coming up next weekend at the Urban Farm, urbanfarm.org. Sign up. It's free. Yep. It's Limited free. space. Yep. No, it's come on down. Come on down. All right. Wonderful. Mr. Greg Peterson of the Urban Farm. Again, that's urbanfarm.org. Talking urban orcharding. <laughs> <laughs>